Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Miami, Florida, and in particular, Sea Trade Global, the annual summit representing thousands of innovators, thought leaders, the CEOs, the movers and shakers, anything to do with the floating on the water, it's here. Uh, wonderful opportunity for me and many other journalists to find out what's going on in terms of trends, find out what's not going on, find out what went wrong, find out how they're going to make it right, and of course, all the new innovations, the bells and the whistles. And here to join me to talk about that, somebody who knows a lot about that, uh, she calls herself the Chief Content Creative Officer of cruise critic but we all we of course we know her as carolyn spencer brown how are you hi peter it's good to see you it's good to be here in person yeah usually we do this on the phone but here we are this is an opportunity for you as it is for me to, to literally walk the floor and anybody who is anybody i mean in the cruise industry is here the ceos are here their engineering guys are here the ports are here the destinations are here the guys who equip the ships the guys who make the propellers are here i mean everybody's here right the shipyards are here it's a big deal it's a huge deal, and what's exciting for consumers is if you get a chance, if you're lucky enough to get a chance to walk the floor, which to me is the favorite part of Sea Trade, it's anybody who has anything to do with selling something to a cruise ship, to a cruise line, whether it's it's designing silverware. cruise ships, silverware, silverware, tablecloths, um, hand sanitizers. One year there was a guy who, a company that built these orange like big puffy jacket things that you could sit in freezing water, and then they invited you to put one on and try some. Um, so it's really interesting to get a behind-the-scenes look at how the cruise industry really works. But the best part of the floor is the destinations because they go all out. They have cocktails, they have bands, they have. So Italian you're saying you're here coffee, for the cocktails? You're here for the cocktails. Or the Italian roast coffee? Oh, excuse me, but no, seriously. I mean, you have over what 1,200 ports that could conceivably call mm-hmm. themselves cruise portable mm-hmm. uh, that want those cruise lines to show up there because of the economic impact. Exactly. And it's what's interesting is to see who's trending in, who's trending, you know, maybe out um, in terms of ports and all of this okay, stuff. Okay, wait, stop right there. Yeah. Who's, tre- who's trending in? I'd say the Eastern Med is trending strongly in. Like? Like Istanbul to Athens cruises. Well, maybe. Istanbul's coming back. Istanbul's coming back. I mean, and there I think was that's a period a of the last, story. what, five years that cruises didn't even call on Istanbul because they couldn't get insurance. So things are changing. Last time I went to Istanbul, we were about the last cruise ship that went out of there. And I remember we were greeted at the airport and somebody let off some kind of... We were all a little tense because everybody knew it was kind of maybe not the best time to go. And I remember we were greeted at our ship by a bunch of policemen who wanted to talk us through what they were doing for security. And it just it, the, the problem just was too insurmountable and cruise lines had to pull out. 
They did. Yeah. So, but it's one of the most multifaceted, fascinating cities in the world. All right. So Istanbul's coming back as a port. Istanbul's coming back, which means that all of the ports, Greece is going to come back. You know, all the areas around there are going to come back because Istanbul was such a huge magnet. And don't forget about the Black Sea. Uh, it could potentially come back depending on what happens in the geopolitical sphere. Okay. So those are two areas that are trending. Yep. What about the Caribbean? I mean, that's a more mature market. The Caribbean's a more mature market, but I think what we're seeing with the Caribbean is that it is a tried and true. People go to the Caribbean year after year It's still the number one. It's still number one. There is so, it is such a broad place with so many different islands and so many different cultures that you can't see it all. And even I've been to the Caribbean probably 40 times. I still love to go in January and February when the weather's beautiful and you can go to different islands, have different experiences. And best of all, just walk around in a t-shirt and sandals and it feels fantastic if you live up, live up north. I, especially at that time of the yeah. year. Yeah. What a surprise. You're and you know, I lived in the Caribbean for a year. Where? I lived in St. John on the USVI, and I lived in St. Thomas. And you liked St. John a lot. I did, uh, but I decided I wasn't an island person. But between St. John and St. Thomas, St. John wins. I actually had more freedom on St. Thomas really? as a resident. But I think as a visitor, St. John is something very, very special. It, it, I, I agree. Yeah. Now, the other ports that, that are coming up on my radar are places like the Russian Far East. Uh, Bangladesh, if you can believe that. I mean, places that wouldn't be on anybody's particular bucket list, but they're now, the infrastructure is there to support it. It's not just the infrastructure. It's what's happening with the boomers. And I think that's really exciting because these ports, these places, these regions you're mentioning, they are all very exotic. I mean, most people, even well-traveled people who've been to Rome a thousand times haven't been to Far East Russia. And I think what's happening is you have the older baby boomers who are a little bit more sedate. And that generation is so big that there's a younger generation of baby boomers who are coming into their 60s now and they're, they're, they're feeling their oats. They've got, they've got some money. They're maybe retiring a little bit early. And they want to be first on their block. They want to be first in their block. They want to travel comfortably, and they want to go to places they haven't seen and can brag about to their friends. That's why they're coming out. Antarctica? Antarctica. I mean, I don't think it, it can come up any higher. No, it's sold out. It's done. It's yeah. sold out. You've got to book ahead for that one. I would tell everybody this. I did something unusual for me. And late last year, December of 2018, I did the unthinkable. I actually took a vacation. Wow. And in order to do the vacation I wanted to do, I had to commit to 17 days. That's and that's a long called time. the Antarctic. Yeah. And I went down on Silver Sea. And I have to tell you, that was my last continent. It was life-changing. You can't, when you see icebergs that are 17 miles long, mm-hmm. it's unthinkable. But it was also an indication of global warming and climate change. Mm-hmm. And, a, and, a, and a real shout-out for people to say, hey, get down there while you can. You're so well-traveled and you're really well-researched. What was the biggest surprise that you, you just didn't see coming on that trip? The biggest surprise I didn't see coming on that trip, I have to preface it by saying I hadn't done an, enough homework on Shackleton. And we all know the story, or we think we know the story. The real story of, of Shackleton and his doomed expedition was that he planned for it so, so poorly. He didn't really care. He just wanted to raise money. He just wanted to get people to sponsor him. He didn't really plan for it. And then, of course, then he got stuck out there. He got stuck out there because he was sort of an idiot. <laughs> but here's the interesting story. What was the biggest surprise to me when I went down there? In this one little cove, there is a, st- out of nowhere, in the middle of absolutely nowhere, there's a statue. And I said, who's the statue of? And they said, you're not going to believe it. It's the statue of the tugboat guy who went down and rescued Shackleton. Wow. Right? So Shackleton gets all the publicity, but the guy who's the hero is the, tugboat is the guy who rescued the idiot. Well, he's got a plaque. He's got a, he's got a marker now. He, you know, he, he lives yeah. on infamy. That's, exactly. that's fascinating. I heard but that. I mean, and then you start reading the whole story about what mm-hmm. these guys were, were basically subsisting on. while like they were. example. Huh? Like, for example? Just seal fat. Ugh. They used the seal fat to light their lamps, and they also used it to eat. Mm. That was it. Mm. I mean, not the most appetizing onion. And the only way they could protect themselves a little bit from the cold is they built huts out of what? What was left of their boat. Oh, wow. Right? It was just not fun. But yeah. then we found the most amazing thing, the wreckage of a 1915 wreckage of a Norwegian whaling ship called the Governor. Mm. And remember the thing about seal fat and whale fat? Well, they had so much whale fat on board, it caught fire. Ew. So oily and greasy. And the ship was completely imperiled. In, in, in could, could. So the captain ran it aground. Everybody survived. They were marooned for four months. And guess what? It's still there. Now back to whaling stories in the <laughs> Antarctic with Carolyn Spencer Brown. But talking about the Antarctic, I mean, every cruise itinerary that I've seen... Is, is sold out, and it's probably the most expensive cruise. 
it is the most expensive cruise because the ships have to be small necessarily. You can't you can't get more than 100 people on land at any given time. So you take a ship of 1,200 people, which you really can't. You you'd wait all day to get out on. Off Interestingly, the ship. you should say that because yeah. while we were down there, I was on Silver Sea. We had about maybe 300, 400 passengers, maybe. Um, what comes by us? A Holland America ship. But it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's drive-by glaciers. It, which is not the way to do it. And I would think that you know, the, the biggest challenge, I think, uh, for anyone who is motion impaired, and I, I'm in that category, is the Drake shake. It's getting across the Drake. I can talk Drake. about that. I can talk about that now. Okay. When we left, we left from Ushuaia, the, most su- the southernmost city in the world in Argentina. And then we, our first stop was the Falkland Islands, mm-hmm. which was fascinating. And they're still angry about the Argentinians, mm-hmm. let me tell you. And for those people who remember the Falklands War back in 1982, can you believe that? Um, so that was, what, 37 years ago? Uh, and we saw a few penguins there, so we're getting ready. Now we got across the Drake Passage, otherwise known as the Drake Shake, and it was okay. It was okay. That was going down. Mm-hmm. Coming back, try 19-foot seas. And, uh, but it was 19-foot seas for about 28 hours. Uh, so a, a sizable number of the passengers were having a conversation with a porcelain telephone. However, you'd ask everyone in the, today whether the trip was worth it. Without exception, they'd say yes. My point is with, with, a, with a drive-by glacier ship, I'm not going through that yeah. if all I'm going to do is drive-by glacier. At least you, you, know, you, you took that commitment, and you actually got to get out and explore yeah. in depth. So I think now, that's when You get to explore in depth. I was, I was hanging out with penguins and seals. And we had great whale spotting. Uh, we had great bird life. I will, however, need to caution all of my listeners, and that is penguins smell. smell. Yes. They smell. really smell. Yes. And there's and no matter where you go, they oh, look at it, it'd be so cute. Oh, what does that smell? <laughs> <laughs> That's and, what you and, but you know what? Still worth it. Yep. And and they are such curious animals, they can't wait to pose for you. I mean it's it's a, it's a photo op They're over friendly. the top. Yeah. One of the, you know, you talked about destinations that are new, uh, and one of the, the places that came up today that particularly interested me was um, Africa. Uh, Northern Africa, sure, that's part of a Mediterranean cruise. But Alexandria's a port, we know about that. We know about Morocco, we know about Tunisia, but, but really South Africa, Namibia, uh, Senegal, other places are all really ripe for cruise travelers to come on through, and we are actually going on our first vacation in a long time to on a cruise around from Durban up to London. Oh, wow. And we're really excited to see some places. What's, what ship? Uh, Viking Sun. Okay. Well, let me tell you my story about recently in Africa, which, which has a cruise component to it. Mm-hmm. We actually broadcast my radio show from the most remote island in the world, St. Helena. And most people don't know the history of that. Uh, it's 1,200 miles from Angola, 1,800 miles from Brazil, right smack dab in the middle of nowhere in the South Atlantic. And what's really amazing about that island is that's where they exiled Napoleon. Mm. Now, most people think he was exiled in Elba. I thought he was. Well, he was. But guess what? He escaped. And then he fought the British at the Battle of Waterloo. And he lost. And he so pissed off the British that they basically said, okay, we're going to send you, Mr. Napoleon, to the one place you'll never leave. And that was the island of St. Helena. And the British were right. He got there in 1815. He died there in 1821. But what's amazing is up until recently, the only way you could get to St. Helena was on a Royal Mail ship that left from Cape Town once every five weeks and took five days to get there. And if you missed that boat, you didn't get there. Well, about a year and a half ago, they built an airport for the first time in St. Helena, for the first time in its history. And they stupidly said, oh, we don't need a boat now. Let's get rid of the boat. Well. It's probably windy. It's, it's Probably. This airport has one flight a week, weather permitting. Weather permitting. And if you miss the flight or the plane has to divert, you're not going for another week. It's crazy. Mm. And yet, here's an island with 4,000 people on it. That's it. There's still a British overseas territory. There's a governor general there. And the day I was there, here's the cruise component, the day I was there, because I would flown in five days earlier, what shows up? A cruise ship. Which one? The world. Oh, interesting. You know, the, that's the, float, the fly, floating timeshare. I mean, yep, yep, yep. And, the thing, and the reason why it stopped there is because the passengers voted. Hmm. They, they wanted to go someplace that no other ship was going, and they were right. Mm. So in terms of cruise ship itineraries, the island of St. Helena is ripe 
yeah. for that kind of and this and this whole region too. And let's let's expand and include the Seychelles, Madagascar, Mauritius, the eastern coast of Africa. On our ship, people are getting off. It's a world cruise, so we're just doing a segment. But the people who are on the world cruise are getting off when we get on, and they're doing a four day safari off the ship. So it's a really great chance to, to well, have what an experience. You're, what you're saying is yeah. that. And, and I'm sure this, we'll talk about this later on the show. We've got all the CEOs coming on the show today. We've got Arnold Donald from mm-hmm. Carnival. We've got Richard Fain from Royal Caribbean. We've got Tom Wolver from, from Crystal. We've got Navin from uh, Ponant. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. But, but almost to a T, they are saying to me that they are revising their itineraries to make sure that their ships don't just get in at 8 o'clock in the morning and leave at 5 in the afternoon. They're doing overnights. They're doing extended stays. And they're providing land uh, experiences, not just a, a, an excursion by bus, but an extended land experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're seeing. That's what we're seeing. And the other the other thing I'm going to bring up about Africa, particularly South Africa and the countries around it, that really interests me is Ama Waterways does a river cruise. And I think that would be the excellent follow-up trip to this. A river cruise in? Visit. In Africa. Wow. Yeah. And now they do course, like four or five days and, they, and then they do you. safari. The one thing that the, immediate, the, the the question that comes immediately to my mind when you say that Amo Waterways is doing a river cruise in Africa, how'd they get the boat down there? Because it had to cross an ocean. They put it on a trailer, on a barge. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, that expl- that answers it because you're not going to put that boat in the ocean. So Amo is a really interesting example. It just built the biggest river ship new build ever. I'm sure you've talked to them about it. Amo Magna. It's coming out this spring, yes. and it was built inland, and they had to literally take it by barge all the way out into the North Sea and around and then up the Danube eventually. I mean, they, and it could be if you run into weather, it can damage that, that oh. I mean, you've got a big, you know, no, big honking it's not, ship. It's not, it's not meant for anything other than rivers and lakes, trust me. Yep. 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 So they don't sell, they don't sail them. They actually have to barge them. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I'm saying in its operational use, yeah. they do sail it on the river, don't they? They sail on the river, but yeah. they have to get them there and they don't uh, sail in the ocean. That's what I'm saying. They, they, they couldn't the do it. It would be, it would be detrimental. It would be. And there, there was a Viking ship, a brand new long ship that they were trying to tre- trek down to, I think, Bordeaux. And they ran into water and almost, uh, some heavy weather and almost lost it. Yeah. So I know. Dangerous. I know. But the cool thing is you're seeing this happening now in destinations that didn't even have that kind of service. Which is great. Yeah. And I think the thing about cruising, again, we've talked about this so many times that I think that, that people are going to like groan. But what I'm excited about for this South Africa trip is I've never been. And would I rather go and spend a week in Cape Town and an Airbnb and then go on safari? Probably. But we've never been. So we're going to take a cruise around. This is your appetizer. This is my appetizer. This is my tapas menu. And we're going to be comfortable. We're going to have some fun. We love the ship. And we're going to see some new places. We're going to know where we come back and then spend that two weeks in Airbnb or or on safari. And, you know, the point that you make, Carolyn, I think is, is worth sharing and repeating you can test drive a destination, if you will, exactly. by taking a cruise. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And it couldn't be more relaxed and easy. I so. know. And but look at it as an appetizer before you even book the cruise, right. knowing this you're never going to have enough time there right. on the ship. But at least you know, you'll know what you want to do when you come exactly. back. Exactly. Exactly. Which is what you're going to do in Africa. Exactly. See? Yeah. We, we, we've we, covered it. Fi- we fixed it. We did it. Total. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Joining me now, the new president and CEO of CLIA, we'll explain what that means, Kelly Craighead, and the chairman of CLIA, and also, he's got some low-level job at uh, Royal Caribbean, Adam Goldstein. First of all, someone explain to me what CLIA is and what CLIA does. So CLIA stands for Cruise Lines International Association. We are the largest cruise travel association in the world, so we represent 95% of vessels sailing um, in the world today, oceans, seas, lakes, rivers. How old is CLIA? Well, there's been several iterations of CLIA. Yes. Adam, this is your second time as chair. Yes, I think CLIA goes back 45 years approximately through various incarnations, but uh, we've been advocating steadily for the industry as it has grown from a tiny little niche vacation that maybe a half a million people took in 1970 to a mainstream vacation option that 30 million people will take in 19 and sorry in 2019 and yet when you take a look at 30 million that's still a drop in the bucket 
Yeah, so there are going to be about one and a half billion international person trips this year. That means one and a half billion people who will cross an international border. Correct. So we're about 2% of that number, which is why we have a really long way to go in uh, getting people to understand the phenomenal benefits of a cruise vacation. And when you think about it, your growth over year over year is still pretty small. Well, we're coming from such a small base. So we can grow five, six percent per year, year after year, faster than the rest of travel, faster than the economy in general, and still be a small percentage of international person trips. But we are gaining ground. I mean, considering statistics and numbers, Kelly, you came from a distinguished career in the United States government, Department of Commerce, running the travel office there. So you lived and died by the numbers. I'm sure at that point in the government, you didn't really understand the numbers we're talking about in terms of cruises then. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think one of the uh, things that's most exciting about the cruise industry is just the sheer potential that exists to capture more and more market share. Uh, you know, I think not only do we have some developed markets like North America, but where there's new opportunities, both with new cruisers and new itineraries that are being developed. I mean, the, the potential is just, it's incredible. Well, let's talk a little bit about demographics, then we'll get to ports, uh, one of my favorite topics. But for demographics, you know, we go back 30 years ago when the love, uh, for, excuse me, 40 years ago when the love boat was on the air, because it was like 1976, 1977, in those, eight, in those days, I mean, the number of people who had ever even been exposed to the idea of cruising, they may have recognized ocean liners, but they didn't realize that. But the demographics of the people who were on those ships, you know, were old. I remember when my mom turned 80, I wanted to take her on, send her on a cruise, and she said, I don't want to be on a ship with a lot of old people, because... I detected, even in her response, a change in the approach to cruising because she wanted to go, but she didn't want to go with older people even though she was 80. So people were perceiving themselves as younger, they were perceiving themselves as more physically active, and they were, right? So you're seeing the numbers in terms of the age demos come down as well. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's such a diversity of who's sailing now, and there's so many ships that are coming online that really strive to attract each of those demographics, and so I think we heard some numbers about the size of baby boomers growing, but we also heard how the millennials are really attracted to cruising in kind of new and different ways than we've seen with any other segment. Your members, I mean, I remember you know, your ability to react to the market. Uh, after 9-11, the cruise industry was perfectly positioned, even though nobody expected this, to reposition your assets. I mean, hotels couldn't do it. Airlines couldn't react quite fast enough. Well, the mobility of our ships certainly can be an advantage from time to time in terms of going to places that the market values and going where the momentum is. But it's not just that the ships are mobile. It's that the cruise product was constantly re-engineered to become a phenomenal family vacation. You could, it, you could segment out your market. That we became a multi-generational family product. And, and right now what we see is even though there are some amazing ships that are larger with all these different features on them, the fastest growing segments of the cruise business today are the luxury and expedition categories, which tend to be quite smaller ships going to new places and different coasts. What's the newest trend? Because you have the shipyards today are 100% are busy building ships of every size and pedigree. So there's no, you know, they're not just building bigger ships, they're not just building small, they're building every kind. But what do you see as a trend? I mean, obviously the trend is more of an experience than a, a material thing that Adam just talked about. You know, people are not necessarily looking for the new car, they're looking for a different way to have an experience without even owning a car. So the macro trend of all trends is people wanting to consume experiences rather than material things. And we see that everywhere in society. It just happens that the cruise industry is wonderfully positioned to be the beneficiary of that. But another big trend that we see is the cruise companies harnessing the power of 21st century technology to improve the guest experience, to make it seamless, and also to improve the crew experience, which allows our people who are serving the guests to do their amazing jobs even better. So the use of technology to improve personal service is a marked trend emerging in our category. And one that's not going to go away anytime soon. Correct. That was a good answer, Kelly. <laughs> Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go
Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest from a cruise line you may not have heard about, you may not have even seen, but they're everywhere if you look hard enough. And if you're lucky enough, you might actually get on one. It's called Ponat. It's a French company. And his name is Naveen Sani. Naveen Sani, who's the big cheese at Ponant. How are you, sir? I'm very well, Peter. Thank you. You and I have known each other for a long time. Ponant has not really been in the U.S. market a lot. I don't even think you still you are. But you're going to destinations that have always fascinated me. You're doing itineraries that U.S. lines don't always do, right? Absolutely. You're very right. We've been in this market just over four years now. In the U.S. market? In the U.S. market as Ponant, the brand. And our ships are all incredibly small. The company is led by a CEO in France who is the founder. He's a sailor. So it has a sailor's mentality of making destinations the number one feature of anything and everything we do. And you're small enough to get into ports that other boats can't get to. Absolutely. We cover every possible destination on the planet from Antarctica all the way up to the Arctic. We even are building a new ship that's going to go to the geographic North Pole. And we cover it from east to west, from Japan all the way to San Francisco and Vancouver. When I was down in Ushuaia last year and earlier this year doing my Antarctic cruise, I saw two of your ships. Yes, you must have seen the Boreal-class ships. These carry on average 220 guests in Antarctica. We carry just 199 to make sure that we conform to the requirements of sustainability and responsible travel in that highly fragile and sensitive environment. And you're right, it really is. But the other itineraries that you're doing, I'm in the middle of uh, you know, Montenegro and there's one of your ships. And I'm, you know, Peter, even in smaller places, I mean, you mentioned Montenegro, look at Kotor. It's a very small environment to be in. Sure, big ships can take you in there and overwhelm the place. But when you go on a small ship like our Lirial, you will actually have the same kind of experience you might have in the fjords. You will see the sunrise over the mountains in Kotor, and you will actually be at anchor so you can see the world go by in that lovely, thriving port city and not just hit the pavement and go to a gift shop. It's yeah, I'm, all I'm not about, a pavement gift shop kind of guy. No, it's all about enriching people's mind and inspiring their souls. And you can do that by making them part of a destination. So taking a look at all of your itineraries for 2019 and extending even through 2020, what would you say is your, I bet you didn't know we go here destination? So I bet you didn't know we go to a location called the Scattered Islands. The Scattered Islands are off the coast of Africa. It sounds like a Johnny Depp movie. It's Scattered Islands. Yes, before you hit Madagascar or the Seychelles. Very few people have ever heard of them, even fewer have ever been there. And yet, our ships have been there in 2019 and we'll be going again in 2020. It is a beautiful environment to be in, highly fragile, tropical, wonderful to snorkel in, to scuba in, and really enjoy the flora and fauna. It's a reasonably good presumption that you'll be the only ship there. We will be the only ship there. It is a French territory. We are a French flag, and you have to get very special permission because you're conserving and preserving that whole area. So you have to know a French guy. You have to know (laughs) at least of a French brand called Pono. That can change your life with the way you travel. All right, so that's one unusual uh, destination that people aren't coming, not on their radar, just not there. What's another one? Here's a very familiar-sounding name, the Kimberley. Oh, it's I know the, the camera. north talk, coast no, we're, of Australia. We're Australia, northwest. Yes. I and, love that. And not too many people have heard of it. I mean, first of all, getting there is not easy. Uh, you, do you leave from Perth or do you leave further north? We, we leave from Cairns and we sail into Darwin or vice versa. So you can fly out of Sydney into these places or out of Perth, both. And this is an area where you'll come across natural history that you hadn't ever imagined. There's a lot of Aboriginal art. There's certainly a lot of 
flora and fauna to see for yourself over there. And it has some of the most amazing tidal conditions in the world, where the tide gallops in at a very fast pace. And it's truly a thrill to be there with a good naturalist like that. And a great travel trivia question that nobody ever gets right, but but I'm probably going to give it away right now. The largest rainforest in the world is not in Brazil. It's in Australia. It is in Australia. And people don't know that. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. My next guest... We, we run around the world together and bump into each other, but of course you're going to find him here at Sea Trade. He's the president and CEO of Carnival Cruises, Arnold Donald. How are you, sir? Hey, Peter. Great to be with you always. I, I hate to ask this question because I know that once I open you up, you're just going to keep going, but I'm not going to say what's new. I'm not going to do it. But I think you would agree that historically the cruise industry is still in its infancy and that the growth that you have, as, as explosive as it's been, when you take a look at how many people haven't cruised, not just in the United States, but worldwide, it's still a lot. Oh, my gosh, Peter. You know, we um, use the statistic a lot. You know, all the cabins in the world across all the cruise lines add up to less than 2% of the hotel rooms in the world. And if you think about a city like Orlando, I think they get maybe 70 million tourists a year. Vegas gets 40 million. Venice gets 24 million. The entire number, you know, total of people cruising around the world it's around 28 million. So Period. the That's entire it. global cruise industry is the size or smaller than one major tourist city. So we are very, every market in the world is underpenetrated. Every market in the world has opportunity. And we are capacity constrained because there's only so many shipyards to build ships. So the most industry can grow in a given year is 7%. And going back to your 28 million figure, a lot of those are repeaters. A lot of those are repeaters. And if you think about the number of people traveling overall, it's well north of a billion in the world. So, you know, we're 1. very small. Billion, well, exactly, yeah. 1.4 billion. So when you're, when you're capacity constrained, and, and by the way, whoever wants to hear that, right? But when, you, <laughs> but when you are, every shipyard right now, unless I'm mistaken, is operating at 100% capacity. Yeah, the, ship, the yards are full, and they have been full, and they will stay full because you're always going to build new ships. They're more efficient. Uh, you know, they're more environmentally, you know, um, friendly, et cetera. And so you're always going to build new ships. And what will regulate the amount of capacity in industry is how the ships that have been around a while, how, how long they stay, you know, applicable. The thing that always amazes me is if you go back to the days of the love boat, uh, when you had the Pacific Princess, a very small ship by today's standards, uh, and everybody watching that, how many ports of call were there that were considered cruise ship ports of call that you called on. Not a lot, maybe 40, maybe. maybe. Today it's what, over 1,200? Uh, I know we call annually on over 700 ports a right. year across our, but in the fleet, industry, across our brands. Yeah. And the industry, I'm sure, is going over to 1,000. And what that means, of course, is in, in the old days, if there's a ship that was got, you know, 15 to 20 years old, it was either sold off to a, to a third party or maybe retired. Now those ships are now de- basically deployed to other ports that, or other routes that never had, had been serviced before. The one ship that's out there that just amazes me is there's a ship out there right now that's actually been cruising for 71 years. It was built in 1948, and eight years later, in 1956, you remember the Andrea Doria? Yes. Okay, the worst maritime disaster in American yes. history off the coast, of, I think, of Boston or Nantucket. It was that morning that this ship, by the way, the Andrea Doria was the movie star ship. Everybody took it, Every mo- Cary Grant, Grace Kelly, it, the captain was a movie star. Uh, it, had, it, was the, it was the pride of the Italian fleet. It had the most beautiful wainscoting and woodwork. And it was on its voyage that it always did between New York and Genoa, or Genoa and New York. In this case, it was between New York and Genoa on a, on a, on a very foggy morning. As it rounded the coast ahead across the North Atlantic, a Swedish ocean liner called the Stockholm slammed into it and sliced right into the bow. The ship foundered. Uh, a lot of people died. Stayed afloat for about 16 hours. It was the first time a maritime disaster ever made it to television because CBS was able to get a fixed-wing plane out of Boston with a camera crew, a little plane that actually still have, the, in our archives, you still have the, the black-and-white footage of that ship finally rolling over and sinking. 
Well, what happened to the Stockholm? Well, the entire bow was accordioned about 60 feet. It looked like a box, and it limped into New York Harbor, and we have photographs of that ship. And then it disappeared. Well, it's still sailing, Arnold. It's had about nine different owners. It's flown over out of 11 different flags. It's now called the Azores. No, it's not. It just changed names again. It's now <laughs> called the Astoria, and it's sailing around the, the, the British Isles. And most people who were sailing on it, right, the, the Italians hate it. They called it the death ship, right, because they sank our liner, you know. But the point is, that gives you an idea if, if a ship is built well enough, I guess, right. it still goes. And you, you talk about being relevant. It's relevant to somebody because they, they can't sail unless they make money. Exactly. And I have to tell you, you know, you brought up a, a sea incident. And, and the reality is, as you know today, with the safety standards and everything we have and, and the equipment and, and what have you, you know, something like that, even in foggy conditions, would be highly unlikely. Well, in those days, of course, the big issue was who was looking at the radar and could they even interpret the radar. You're going way beyond that today. Uh, way beyond. Way beyond that today. And when you think about it, you, you, you know, I didn't bring this up to talk about safety, but we will. Bottom line is if you take a look at the number of ships you have at sea right now, and the number of people on those ships, and what didn't happen yesterday, and what didn't happen today, <laughs> and what didn't probably going to happen tomorrow, those numbers are pretty impressive. I don't know we have 106, 107 ships. You know, it's but a, who's counting? And yeah. um, you know, because we're always adding, you know, new ships. But um, but the bottom line is absolutely is um, uh, not only the greatest vacation experience um, you can have, and one of the greatest vacation values. Cruising is clearly, you know, one of the um, safest. Um, vacation, you know, opportunity series out there. I mean, other than people getting drunk and doing stupid things every once in a while, <laughs> it happens, right? Every I mean, now and then. Well, we do have a whole, we seem to have a rise in American and British tourists behaving badly. Um, and and whether it's defacing monuments or, or, or thinking that the only good picture has to have them in it, and of course, selfieing something to death, you know, everything ranging from historic cities trying to put limits or people on a ship. I mean, I, I saw one story where somebody just thought it'd be fun to jump from a ship. Yeah. And of course, they rescued him, and then he was called, of course, banned for life. Yes. As it should have been. But so, when you think about what could go wrong and what hasn't gone wrong, that's a staggeringly positive statistic. It's a very positive statistic. And even when you talk about um, a rise in incidents of bad behavior to tourists, uh, the reality is that if you know, I've seen markings on the Sphinx in Egypt right. that date back to the 40s and 30s. And I, I think all the original taggers. Yeah, I use that original, yeah, taggers or whatever you want to call them. But the bottom line is that um, when you have millions and millions and now billions of people traveling, uh, you're going to have a few people who, you know, just don't do the right thing. But I think in the main, uh, most tourists are there to meet and immerse in a different culture, meet people and have experiences they haven't had before. Most of them are really respectful, and we like to emphasize that with our guests. But, you know, when you have a billion-plus people doing something, you know, uh, of course there are going to be a few who, in a moment, um, have some bad judgment. So if I go back to Cairo and look at the base of the Sphinx, I'm not going to see Arnold Donald was here? And you absolutely will not I just want to make sure we're covering on this. Be a rapid change in cabin pressure. Oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. Joining me now, I won't say he's a regular on the show, but we're happy to have him back. He's the, he's the chairman and CEO of Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, Richard Fain. Peter, it's good to see you again. Richard. Every time I come to this event, it's sort of like this amazing game of one-upsmanship in terms of technology, design, entertainment attractions. It's everything from, this year it's everything from glamping, on, you know, nights on the, on the deck of a ship to... You've been to, reading our press releases. Well, I read everything. <laughs> uh, or, or virtual and augmented reality, or you know, interactive, it goes on and on and on, or, or thoroughly physically immersive experiences as well. So. Bring me up to date on, on all your... Because you guys, I mean, and, and we talked about this when we, when we did this show from the Celebrity Edge. I mean, you guys are always giving me a gee whiz or a wow factor that I wasn't necessarily expecting, not to mention the engineering challenge that's behind it. 
First of all, I'm glad to, to give you something here to talk about, and I'm happy that uh, we're helping your, your career move forward. Um, okay, this concludes the interview. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I actually think, not only am I proud of what Royal Caribbean's done, I'm really proud of what the industry has done. I think what really is happening is people have shifted what they're looking for. They're no, looking to, no longer looking to buy things. They want experiences. And have you seen that on your retail on the ships too? Oh, absolutely. There's no question. If you look at what we're doing on board, it's much more shifted from the things. Retail is affected, but it's it's all the experiences that people are doing. And so what we're doing is we're adding not only on the new ships, but on the existing ships as part of our uh, Royal Amplified and Celebrity Revolution, we're adding new things that people can do and, and take pictures of and remember and bring home as memories. But I also, I mean, I'm very proud of what Royal Caribbean is doing, but I'm also proud that the industry continues to stay in touch with what the customer wants. And the consumers today are more demanding than ever. They want more choice. They want more opportunity to, to see and do and experience. And the reason the cruise industry has continued to do so well is because we have responded to what the customer wants. And what they're essentially saying is they want experiential one-upsmanship. Well, I don't think of it as one-upsmanship. I think of it as just new and different things to do. But and then they want bragging rights to come back and tell everybody they did it. We all want bragging There's rights. There's your experiential one-upsmanship. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and um, you know, the things that you can do, you never would have imagined you could do ever in your life, never mind do on a cruise ship. And I think that is what's so special, and that's what I'm so proud of at Royal Caribbean. The, the engineers, the, um, the entertainers, the art people, everybody work so hard to meet that growing demand and stay ahead of it. I mean, 20 years ago, my biggest challenge on a cruise ship was deciding whether I want first or second seating, right? That was, that's the era that you started in, right? Uh, well, I don't think it was quite as bad as we tend to think, and looking back is always different. But you're right, the change is transformational. And, and I think that's why cruising has so taken off, because we have changed along with people's demands. And I call them demands, not desires. But did the demands come directly to you saying, okay, Richard, we've got to put a roller coaster on the ship. Richard, we have to put a racetrack on the ship. I mean, how, how specific does it get? You know, I don't think that people are, are looking for very specific things. I think they're looking for new and different experiences, authentic experiences. One of the things that I'm very proud of at Royal Caribbean is if we do something, we do it right. But I think it's uh, one of my favorite expressions, I think you've heard me say this before, is from Henry Ford. And he said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And so it's a question of anticipating. So of course we look at trends, but we try and find new things before they're, everybody is already clamoring for it. We try and stay like a surfer. We try and stay at the crest of the wave. Crest of the wave. When I last talked to you on the radio, we did it from the Celebrity Edge, and you came up with some interesting things on that ship I'm not talking about the entertainment aspects of it, but in terms of the design, um, the design of the cabins, that was that was that was a game changer. That really was a game changer. It has been uh, very popular. Our our guests, and so we have the advantage. One of the things we do is we we also look a lot at what people tell us. We have great feedback from our guests, um, and we're very data driven. And the data says that the people who, and we have cabins of both types. We have the old traditional type, and we have the new uh, type with the infant veranda, and the people prefer the latter. Well, let's talk about that, because everybody would tell you in your surveys, they always want a, they always want a balcony, right? Uh, and yet, a lot of cruise ship balconies, you need a spatula to get out there. Um, you know, you, you have to, like, leave the room to change your mind, if you will. Um, <laughs> But this good, is, good, good line, Peter. That wasn't mine. You know whose line that was? Henny Youngman. Is that right? Yeah, that room was so small, I had to leave the room to change my mind. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that was a bad impression of Henny Youngman. But what you've done to, to illuminate this is you literally increased the square footage, what, about 23%? And 26, to be precise. Really? Yes, it's, it's fantastic. And with that comes uh, more storage. Um, you talk about squeezing in, um, getting in a beautiful large bathroom. Um, so yeah, this has been really trans really a transformation. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. But I would walk 500 miles. 
course, we've been talking to all the CEOs today and about to talk to another one. And that's Lisa Lutoff-Perlo, who's the CEO of Celebrity Cruises. That's right. Good morning, Peter. Now, the last time, now, the last time I saw you on a ship was when you basically premiered the, the Celebrity Edge. Yes. Which, you know, early in the show, I was talking to Richard Fain, and, and it really was a game changer in terms of design. And we're not talking about the colors of the sheets. We're really talking about physical design, mm-hmm. right? The yes. parabolic bow. The, the, the infinite verandas and, and, and extending the, the balconies that long. Mm-hmm. You've ordered, what, three more ships? We have ordered three more ships, yes. And basically that means you're going to continue this, what, through 2024? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes, we are. What's the lesson that you learned from the design of that ship? Because this was a, a completely new design. This wasn't just like we're going to add a cabin here and there. This is... This is serious. Yes. So, you know, design is one of the five pillars for celebrity. It's very important to our brand and what we stand for and what we try to do better than anyone. And when we had the opportunity to design Edge, we thought we would really amplify that and put a whole different perspective to uh, not only the, the physical design, the beautiful design, but the architectural design. And we brought in some world-renowned architects and designers. The thing that struck me the most was the reaction to it. I knew that people were going to agree with us that it was a very special ship unlike anything that had been introduced before but to the degree that they have given us the feedback that they have it it was even more than we had expected and you know normally you know when you you come up with a brand new design people are creatures of habit they Mm -hmm. don't really adapt well You had a high adaption rate. We had a very, very high adaption rate, which goes back to the point where it was overwhelming. We were, it was just wonderful to get the feedback that we did from all of you that have known us for so long and been involved with this industry for so long. And so for that, it gave us a lot of confidence that we're going to continue to build these, yes. And of course, in any sort of, uh, we've been talking about this throughout the show, this unbelievable game of experiential one-upsmanship in the cruise industry where somebody has to have a roller coaster and somebody has to have a, a race car track on the top of the ship. You have something that hangs off the side of the ship. Yeah. So we do have the magic carpet, but the magic carpet wasn't meant to be a feature like you just described. The magic carpet was really designed and thought about to solve a pain point for our guests, which is when we have to tender in a port, which is how long? How long does it take to get along? How long and how comfortable is it? And so that's how the magic carpet was Uh, concepted originally but then it became so wonderful we wanted it to be a more meaningful feature to our guests now this is something that hangs off the side of the ship all the way from deck five up to deck 16 two two to 16 excuse me yes two um two for tendering i guess yes two for tendering but it's this tangerine colored suspended i can't even describe it and some people i mean I've, i've read some of the reviews and when i first looked at it i said well that's a stunt but people love it. It's beautiful. First of all, where in the, else in the world can you get that perspective of the ocean, the port that you're visiting, or even sitting out on it? You look back at the ship, and nobody gets that perspective of the ship. And yeah, it's just a beautiful place to By be. By the way, it's a ship you can't miss. It's a ship you can't miss. I mean, it's, it's this giant orange. It's beautiful. I know. <laughs> and then there's some other entertainment things that you've added. One was the, the, the petite chef. Yes. Right? Yeah, which, culinary. Which, by the way, if you're late for dinner, you missed you missed, you missed the show. You really did. Yeah, and you, you got to be there. You cannot be late for dinner. No, you cannot be late for dinner. Not this time. Not in that restaurant. You can't be late for dinner. By the way, last night I bumped into an old friend of mine, and we did the very first story on her on CBS, Captain Kate. Captain. And she's now going to become the captain on The Edge. Yes, she'll be joining Edge uh, in September. She's very excited, and we're very excited. And speaking of Captain Kate, it's not often, although it's, it's increasing in numbers, it's not often that you see a woman four-stripe captain of a cruise ship. That's right. Kate was the first for celebrity, right. first American woman ever. We now have four women captains in our fleet. She was the first, and um, she has set a high bar for the industry. We are seeing it more and more, but celebrity really makes this a priority to redraw the balance of gender in our industry. And so using Kate as an example, where have you done this throughout the celebrity system? We now have, Kate was the first, we now have four women captains. We've gone from five to over 20% of women on the bridge now in just a couple of years. We opened Celebrity Edge. So there's a pipeline now. There's there's a a pipeline, absolutely, which is really critical. We've done a lot of work with the Maritime Universities 
around the world so that we can recruit women into the lower positions and work up their way up to captain, uh, even in Ghana, uh, which uh, was is very new for us, 18 months. And we're also looking at the rest of our crew as well. We opened Celebrity Edge with 30% women on our crew, which is the highest the industry has ever seen. And how is that working out? beautifully. The ratings are amazing. The crew is happy. The guests are happy. Um, and all of these women are also in a pipeline for leadership and management positions on board uh, in the hotel part of our business as well. You also had to essentially, whether you liked it or not, educate your passengers that this is the way you were going. Yes. But you know, let me tell you something. Because I was watching Captain Kate on uh-huh. her last ship. Yes. And she was, you know, she had the four stripes. She was yeah. standing there yeah. greeting pa- uh, No. Half the pastors were like saying, could you tell me where the captain is? Yeah, and she's yeah, basically, no, yeah. no, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the captain. captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but you know, I think that will take time. It's almost like doctors, right? You assume they're men. And when a woman walks in, you say, where's the doctor? And time will heal that. And Kate's just done a great job. And our guests have really welcomed what we're doing in a more meaningful way than I thought they ever would. What's the one thing that you've done on the edge that you say, I wish we hadn't done that, or I wish we'd done it more? Um, I think... Because you learn from that to implement that on the next three ships. Yes, yes. And so there are a couple of things. One is we're going to create... We wish we had created a secondary theater for our guests where we could run some parallel shows to our main theater. I think that's some an opportunity for us that our guests have told us they would like and so we're going to think about that for the for the next ships i think that overall we are pretty happy with everything that we've done we didn't have a lot of time to change for apex the second ship actually we had no time to change but we're going to look at the third ship uh, which we're calling celebrity beyond and beyond that to see if there are some other things that no, you uh, can't call it that you have to call it celebrity Beyond. Beyond. Celebrity Beyond. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. That's, that's, you're right. You can't be like Celebrity Beyond. I know, right? You can't do this. It's, you have to like. Celebrity Beyond. Beyond. Yes. Or Celebrity Beyonce. Now there. You <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> There's an idea. Thank you. That's you heard right. it here. That's right. <laughs> Put a ring on it. Uh, <laughs> sorry. There you go. I, I had to do you that. You had to do it. It's okay. I, I had it's to okay. do it. But when you're looking at that third ship, uh-huh. right, that you're in, in the sequence, right? Yes. I'm sure on the drawing board there's got to be something crazy that people go, let's put the roller coaster on, or let's put, or no. No, not celebrity. We're modern luxury. We're very happy with our positioning. We've carved out a beautiful niche for ourselves. We care about the things that we care about. We care about traveling the world and creating an experience that's uniquely our own, and we're not interested in those. So the only big ride you've got on that ship is the magic carpet. And you can't ride on it, so I don't really have a (laughs) ride at all. (laughs) Into the sky. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. Uh, Joining me now is a man who, while you were sleeping, has more orders for ships than any other cruise line in the world. He's keeping the shipyards busy and has now penetrated the U.S. market as well. Per Francesco Vago, the executive chairman of MSC Cruises, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Good morning, everybody. And I just said in the intro, so I'll continue with that. Is it still true that you have more ships on order than anybody else in the, in the yards? Well, uh, we did place the orders at the right time. We, we, we understand that there is only three shipyards that can actually build such complex uh, ships, and they're all in Europe. Well, one, is, one is Saint-Nazaire. One is in France, the other one is in Italy, and the last, yeah, in Germany, my yeah. And we actually placed uh, the orders we were at the right time. You know, in life, uh, you also got to be at the right time in the right place, and we took the right decision by taking a few slots. MSC wants to be a global brand. We want to operate in all the different canvases uh, around the world. So we, we have demand, we, we growing, and uh, we ordered uh, 14 ships. And so That's 40 big. ships are under construction, and that would possibly mean 25% of the growth of the cruise industry It's uh, you. with us, yes. <laughs> well, let's start with growth and talk about the history of MSC that people don't really understand. Mediterranean Shipping Company, it started really as, as freighters and cargo. Yes, we are a family company. We still have a, a next captain that leads, a, that is our chairman of the group. The company started with the cargo. There is an old tradition, as a matter of fact, 300 years seafaring tradition. That's how back the family goes with experience with, the, with shipping and running ships operation. And he started in the 70s with the twin deckers, the old cargo ships that used to carry 
carry boxes, uh, you know, with the old cranes, uh, and then the evolution in the 80s of containerization, and uh, we followed uh, with also with an impressive uh, building program in, uh, in the new container cargo vessels. And today we are the second largest uh, cargo operator in the world, operating in excess of 520 ships. So, family. So while business, we're sitting here right now, there are 520 ships of yours somewhere delivering or picking up. Yes, uh, it's global business. So you you might have seen those uh, yellow boxes uh, with the name uh, Little Wave uh, in black and an S and a C. That is uh, the cargo division. Family company, so all we know, all we do is uh, shipping. That's our common denominator. We, we are professionals. We stick to what we know. Believe you me, Peter, every day I have somebody coming to me and offer me great ventures and uh, business and opportunities, but we stick to what we know. So that's how we develop the cruise division. We, uh, we actually have a family business that runs uh, passenger, bulk, uh, cargo vessels. That's what we do. Shipping is our common denominator. Is it still true that your owner's wife designs the carpets and the interiors? Well, that's my mother-in-law. So... <laughs> So well, that's my biggest well. challenge, you know, because I'm trying to be a manager. I got budgets. I got to make, uh, you know, ensure that the figures make sense. And then she comes along. And, and she exceeds the budget. No, 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 no. She says, well, I want to put this beautiful Alcantara on the wall. And I say, well, we can't afford it. And she says, well, you can. <laughs> I own the thing. And so, no, just so you aside, give her, you give her an unlimited budget and she exceeds it. Well, there is a lot of cares and we pay a lot of attention to details. Sure. So being a private company, being a family company, we don't have the quarters, dividends uh, to follow through. So basically, you don't live and die by stock analysts. That's it. And so we invest our money and we go the extra penny, the extra cent, the extra dollar to ensure that our passengers uh, not only have a very high quality hardware, but as well uh, an incredible software experience uh, on cruise experience uh, itself. Well, let's talk about that because in recent years, you've attempted to penetrate the American market a market that you really weren't strong in up until recently, right? In, in terms of placing ships that are home ported here. Well, again, uh, an anecdote, uh, Mr. Aponte entered the cruise business uh, in, the, uh, in 2000. Uh, then we realized at one stage, uh, well, we entered because again, uh, an owner that had a few couple of uh, old cruise ships uh, in the Med had the financial trouble and uh, between gentlemen, uh, we bought them out. Uh, you may recall the Lauro, the Achille Laura, she oh, I know it. I know that story yeah. very well. Yeah, yeah. So we we bought the Star Laura. We had three old ships. Then we realized one day that uh, cruising per se, as we intend it today, had had evolved. Uh, you know, these old ships there were already new ships being built in the yards, a new evolution of the experience. So the the the, the evolution from the love boat, uh, boring only for old people, uh, black tie, and we came to the realization that uh, the industry had changed. And um, we held a board meeting at the dinner table, and uh, we decided that we wanted, were going to invest in, uh, very heavily uh, on a new building program and the new tonnage. So since then, uh, I became the CEO. It was 2003. We had 800 percent growth. Uh, we and, built, and you uh, had and you had to learn along the way too. You yes, to because I came from the B2B, and all of a sudden I was B2C, and I had to, of course, enter into a new dimension. And the sudden growth uh, was important because it was uh, bringing us the economies of scales and obviously we did that growth in Europe so we we became the number one line cruise line in Europe so European cruise line but you couldn't go from the cargo business to the human cargo business you had to go from the cargo business to the transportation and entertainment business. Well, I, I, I look, you, you know, I, I used to work on the cargo division and I used to leave container under the sun, uh, you know, 15 days, no problem. Then I went into the passenger business and I left uh, one client under the sun for 15 minutes. And believe you me, I received the <laughs> you lawyer. You heard about it. <laughs> so I learned very fast. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, the cruise uh, um, industry is very complex. Uh, the cruise uh, experience, the product itself, uh, includes many other industries within the cruise industry per se. Uh, there is entertainment, there is F&B, there is uh, sanitation, uh, there is maritime, uh, there is a, um, a lot of different activities where we had to learn. And funnily enough, we decided uh, instead of using uh, concessionaries uh, to actually develop all these different divisions in-house in -house. 
because that allows it, you to control it. Yes, exactly. Because we wanted to ensure that the experience that we promised to our customer, to our passenger, to our clients uh, uh, would be maintained. So we never want to give our passenger in the hands, uh, you know, somebody else that would actually squeeze uh, rather than uh, than deliver the experience itself. So on on your ships, you control the retail, you control the casino. You control the entertainment. You control the shore excursion. Exactly, everything. exactly everything. So we are unique in that sense. From the spa, the shops, uh, we control everything. The F&B and the, obviously the maritime and, and all the HR uh, that goes along uh, on the ship. So very proud. It was the right decision. It was difficult. It was hard. It was a very big learning curve. But that brought us through the first phase of growth, uh, which helped us to reach the right economies of scales. Uh, to be the leader cruise line in Europe and uh, once uh, we had uh, the big shoulder to ensure that we could uh, enter into the second phase so the one that you mentioned with the new uh, shipbuilding uh, phase the new industrial plane uh, plan that uh, will bring us uh, an excess of uh, 14 ships uh, being uh, presently under construction then we were mature enough to actually enter the North American market obviously a very mature market but coming in with a new brand new uh, hardwares new platforms of ships and new design yeah new design come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly My next with guest, me. I've sailed with let's him. Fly, uh, we've done stories away. on some of his more notorious passengers. Uh, I'll explain that later. And the last time I saw you was in a shipyard in Bremerhaven in Germany. Yeah, that's right. That was the last fall. And that voice is Tom Wolber, the CEO and president of Crystal Cruises. Always a pleasure to see you again. We were actually... Uh, in the shipyard on a, on, a, on, a, on a serious dry dock of one of your ships, the Crystal Serenity, in this remarkable 15-day period where, I mean, I, I stopped counting welding torches, they doing a remarkable transformation and basically upgrading that ship to, you know, to 2021 standards. Yeah, actually, you're absolutely right. This was the biggest uh, retrofit that we did on the, on the Serenity. We made it ready for, for, for another 10 years of luxury travel. Uh, we decreased the actual passenger count on the ship. Which, by the way, people don't usually do that. No, that is kind of I mean, I'm used to seeing people cutting ships in half and adding cabins. Yes, but in the, in the luxury space, what we see is that people do ask for more options, more of uh, when they want to consume those options, and they want to either see as many people as they want or as little people as they want. So for that, more space per passenger is something that is, is driving the demand in the luxury business. But of course, in doing that design, you have to figure out naval architecture and you have to figure out how to use every conceivable inch of space. Absolutely, and to pre-plan and pre-produce that in a, in a fashion that you can do all that work in, in, in a three-week uh, span of time. What lessons did you learn from that retrofit? Um, that I not would want to do one um, anytime soon again, <laughs> but it's, a, it, it, it's, a, it's really... I mean, it's got to be nerve-wracking to get... A, Absolutely. When we were there, and, it, it, and people can go to my website to see the piece that we shot, I mean, when you see the work in progress, it's, it's hard to actually imagine that anything would have been finished in time. That's right, and it always goes to the to the very last minute, the moment that the ship pushes off the yard to uh, to the port where we embark our passengers. We're still cleaning up, still uh, finishing the last uh, bits and pieces, and and that is really uh, that is typical for dry dock. But really, the only thing I wished is that we could have done more on that ship. Every dry dock, you are very proud of what you. You have, have your done, punch list, and then you see the things that you haven't done uh, because they 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 stand out, and uh, and and you just know what your list next time is going to be. One of the one of the demographics of your of your of your clientele is so many of them are repeaters. And That's so right. the biggest judge of your work is not going to be a first-time cruiser. It's going to be somebody who's been on that ship before. Yes, that is true. And so far, we have passed the test with the flying callers. The, rem the, the remarks that we're getting from our passengers are, uh, are, are, are very good. But the very important thing to, to keep in mind is that we continue to upgrade our ships, not only for the guest of today, our repeat guest that we treasure dearly, 
But we also need to be ready for the guests of tomorrow, uh, the people that are new to Crystal, and make sure that the product that they're seeing and that they're enjoying is the product that uh, that they want to come back to also. All right, so let's go back to that dry dock. What's the one lesson, other than the fact you never want to do it again, but what's the one lesson that you learned that we should have added this or we didn't really have to add that? We probably should have done a little more of the of the other cabins and, and do some more work on that, but we just simply, within the time frame that we had, uh, it, it, it was not possible to take on more scope than we did. And how many cabins did you retrofit? We retrofitted the entire deck and uh, we decreased the, uh, the the count there from uh, from 80 to 60. How many ships in the fleet? We have two ocean going, um, we have a yacht and five river ships and then an expedition ship being built right now. Exactly. Any plans to build another big ship? There are always plans to build another big ship, and, uh, and, and actually I just came back from Germany to discuss those plans and uh, to firm them up further. Exactly. So, will I next see you in another shipyard? Oh, you will <laughs> see me in another shipyard for sure. What's the one thing that surprised you the most about that renovation, about that, about that dry dock, in terms of, other than the fact that you were amazed that it got done in time, which, which is always an amazing you know, surprise. But what's the one thing from an experiential level? I think that with introducing the open seating dining on that ship, uh, the, the Serenity was the last ship in the fleet that uh, that, that still had fixed dining times. Um, that transition went um, very, very smooth, and the Serenity went on a world cruise right after she came out of dry dock. And that is not the easiest cruise, cruise to introduce a concept like that. And it, it went extremely well, and that, that surprised me. So, I will see you next time in another dry dive. Then. I'm looking forward to it. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.